Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, the topic is the warrior spirit, and joining me in this conversation is Colonel Todd Halsey. We're going to dig deep into this subject, so get ready for some thought-provoking ideas. Before we start, please consider supporting this show. You can subscribe to the Spirit Aikido Online program, which now has almost 160 videos. You can also contribute any amount that you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this content. Now, on with the discussion. So I want to welcome Colonel Todd Halsey to the podcast. He contacted me. Uh, he runs the Dirt Wasp podcast, uh, which is on, uh, on the audio platform. Uh, and he's got his own website. And, and he's a very interesting gentleman to talk to. We've had a really great conversation uh, that will probably go live in about a week uh, when this goes up. But uh, I wanted to have him on the podcast to talk about the subject of the warrior mindset and of the, the, the part that a lot of martial artists tend to miss when we start talking about technique, we get absorbed with how to move our feet and what techniques work best. And we kind of sometimes lose sight of the forest for the trees. And so within that, that broad scope of the warrior mindset, I wanted to have uh, Colonel Halsey on to talk about his experience because he comes not only from uh, a background of military, but also law enforcement and as well as been an Aikido student. So he kind of covers the three primary realms of martial arts. And I think we could have a really great conversation today. So welcome Todd to the show. Tristan, thanks a lot. And uh, thanks again for being on my podcast the other day. I really appreciate it a whole bunch. It was a great conversation and we, you got me talking a long time. So uh, now we're gonna turn things uh, kind of around a little bit. So this is a subject okay. that's kind of near and dear to my heart because it's part of the reason that I got into martial arts, not to become a, a, a soldier or a fighter, but to engage, be able to engage in physical conflict. And that's, I think, where we start this discussion is, is the definitions. We, I think every martial artist views themselves as, a, as some kind of a warrior or has at least a portion of that within them. Um, and of course, every uh, actual warrior, somebody who's been in the military or been on a battlefield or been a, a soldier, uh, certainly feels that same way too. And I think uh, defining the difference or the distinction between uh, what a warrior is, what a soldier is, and what a fighter is, is a good place to start to really get that understanding. And I, I want to approach this from the standpoint that there's nobody's right or wrong. We're not trying to find an absolute truth and say that there is one uh, unifying uh, truth that we must abide by, but to understand that, in my opinion, I think anybody that engages or stands ready to engage in physical conflict is a kind of a warrior. And I would put that to people who work security, people who are bouncers, um, even anybody who's been in a, in a conflict, a physical conflict with another human being, for that moment, they are a warrior. What, what would you say to that, that concept or the, the idea that there are these distinctions? Well, I think these definitions are going to be really dependent on who is, you know, perceiving what those words mean. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, uh, a warrior is somebody who is prepared to go to war. And I exclude uh, people who engage in combat sports, for example, from the definition of warrior. 
and I don't, I don't get, you know, upset about it, but you'll often hear the, you know, the, the, the people who call fights and stuff like that. And this is true of all combat sports, but they'll say he's a real, a real warrior or she's a real warrior. And I know what they mean, but, but to me, a warrior is somebody who, who is prepared to go to war and certainly someone who's been to war. Now I don't dispute your definition at all because that certainly also applies because in the heat of battle, even if that battle is interpersonal violence between two individuals, then yeah, I mean, to, to them in that confined time and space, they're in a war. So I don't think it's not applicable. It's just that how I perceive what those words mean is probably a little different than yours. But as you said, there's no right or wrong answer. It really just depends on on how one approaches, you know, approaches the definition of those of those words. You know, someone who's a soldier, uh, I would say, is also a warrior, or or should be. That's separate from mindset, but that would be the ideal. If somebody's a soldier, they're a warrior, and then, but a warrior, you know, doesn't have to be a member of a particular, you know, governmental organization. For example, a tribal warrior. You know, um, is certainly still a warrior, and but in some senses for their tribe, a soldier, and um, and a fighter. My goodness, you know, there's people who train to fight. Um, who, who there are people who have never trained to fight and it, but enjoy it. I I have a cousin who uh, we were in the Marine Corps together, and he loved to fight. He would start fights out in town uh, with people because he loved to fight, but he had never studied a combat sport or a martial art ever in his life. He just loved to fight people. So he definitely uh, is in his sixties now, so I won't say he is, but he definitely was a fighter and having been around him when he decides to start a fight, it can, <laughs> you know, it's, it can be disconcerting sometimes because now there's a bar fight that, you know, you didn't plan on getting in, but, but he sure started kind of thing. And, and so um, they can be separate. They can be the same thing. I think the context is extremely important also and in, in how those terms are defined and when they're defined. So you have each individual's perception of what those words mean based on their own uh, background and experience, and then you have the context in which they're used. So, so I mean, it's a great discussion because it, 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 I mean we're almost um, we're almost uh, speaking of philosophy more than just you know defining terms. Um, yeah, but I mean, but, I mean it's an interesting discussion. It is, you know, and and I think that each of those the people of those different realms, and you brought up a great one, whether it's a, a, in regards to being a fighter. And, and I do like the distinction between a sport fighter and, for example, like a, a bar fighter or somebody who just goes and picks fights. Um, they're a little different. I think they're all worthy of respect, not to say that I respect people that go out and pick fights, but I do respect somebody who's, who's endured actual fighting, uh, regardless of whether they did it for a sport or whether they did it for survival or what have you there's something they learned in going through that process. Um, you know, they, they each have their own nuances. And, and this is something that I, I, I like within 
the discussion and, and a maturity that I think people need to have when they look at this subject is to say, you're not just sorting out who do I respect and who do I not respect or who's right and who's wrong. There's really no superior to, to, to one another. Obviously, those who've engaged in, in actual conflict are worthy of that respect. And I guess you could say the same of, uh, for example, a, a soldier who may be a radio operator who never got anywhere near physical conflict, even though he wears a uniform and that's worthy of respect. Uh, you know, where do you do, put that line of, is this a warrior? This is a soldier. I think you can lump, trying to lump these terms together can be kind of precarious. Trying to it say that somebody is a soldier, but they are a warrior or they're not a warrior. That really depends on their experience. Um, obviously a combat vet, I would definitely say that's, that's a warrior. You know, somebody who's uh, in an administrative office in, you know, Oklahoma, that you know watches a radar or who knows what they do um you know are they a warrior i don't know you know there could be an administrator they're a soldier definitely uh and the same thing with law enforcement there are people that are have got tremendous experience in dealing with physical contact or at least the high potential of physical conflict on a day-to-day -day basis and there are other others within the law enforcement field that are administrators and they really don't ever get into that side of of law enforcement or of of being really i like the old term the peace officer the original term that it, at least here in minnesota is still on the certificates for licensure for law enforcement personnel it doesn't say i'm a law enforcement officer it says i'm a peace officer same and, thing in texas and that and that actually holds true to those those uh officers of the law who take that to heart and say, my job here is to maintain peace within society. And I think this brings us to the next part of what at least I view a warrior as being, whether it's, um, whether you're a soldier, whether you're law enforcement, even, you know, a bouncer at a club or, or somebody like that. It's like, my job is to get, is to maintain peace and to reestablish it. If violence or discord come into this realm, I'm here to protect the club i'm here to protect the the customers and, and the staff and basically it's like a protector you're you are that's your role within society and it can take many different faces regardless of whether you're a security guard or you know police officer or even a firefighter really i i mean yes I that, that in, in a great amount of uh great respect that when you go and fight a fire and try to save people from that that massive terrifying conflagration that you, you really they have that heart of a warrior it's a different physical conflict but it still is a very dangerous lethal conflict that they're going into yes um yeah well the, the job is the, the the job title is firefighter and mm -hmm. um having i've never been a firefighter but having some uh, you know very close association in the past with my current city's fire department and discussing fighting a fire, many of the terms used, the terminology sounds very battlefield-like, very military. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know anybody who served in the military will, will find the terminology very familiar. And anyone who's going to run into a burning building to save somebody or run into a burning building to apply you know, a fire, like say a, a, a fire hose to apply a firefighting technique to it, certainly as a warrior, 
although they're not engaged in a war against another human being or set of human beings, but against a set of conditions. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, talking about what these words mean can take us all sorts of different places because, you know, some people who, if they haven't thought about it, they're going to think that there's only one meaning assigned to these words, you know, soldier versus a warrior versus a fighter, but there's so many different directions to go. Just like our discussion um, last week uh, about Aikido can take you in so many different directions. And so can this, I mean, for, I don't know if I'm getting away from what you just said or not, but I mean, for me, a, um, a sport fighter, whichever combat sports irrelevant, but a sport fighter I would consider a gladiator Mm-hmm. and not a warrior that's just how i separate the two the separate the two ideas mm-hmm. and the same thing's true of you know a, a football player or a rugby player or a lacrosse player um anytime you're in a collision sport um yeah people going out there sacrificing their bodies to win the game i would call that gladiatorial combat it's combat but i would call it gladiatorial combat do you have to have a warrior's heart to to do those things and be effective yes um, but what's a warrior's heart? Well, I guess that goes back to, to mindset. It's temperament, it's drive, it's determination. All the things you would want in somebody to, uh, to win a gladiatorial contest, you'd also want the mindset in somebody who has to go and fight and win a war. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of similarities, but these, by these, the, the fact that there's these similarities, the, I think the definitions of the words can can go in many different direct directions. And again, as I said moments ago, it is contextual. It depends on what you're talking about, how you're talking about it. And um, again, I uh, I don't know. I can get lost in talking about why why these words can be the same and sure. different at the even the same time. And I don't want to do that. No, that's quite all right. You know, one of the things in thinking about it, because I mean, I've heard all kinds of different people described as. Well, they have the, the, the warrior spirit, and this can be people who are um, like chefs or business people or uh, you know, sport athletes, baseball players, that sort of thing. And you, know, you, you think, well, how, how could somebody who cooks food be like, considered a warrior? Or, um, and as I think about it, one of the things that comes into play is what is the ante that's on the table? Like, what is the level of risk that is, is that is involved. So you think about a baseball yeah. player, you know, or, or a football player. Okay, well, you know, a little different level of risk. Football players at more risk, physical risk of playing his game. He could get injured seriously. Uh, baseball player, not quite as much, can still get injured, injured, not as much. You talk about like a professional chef, probably even lower than that. But as you go higher on that risk, that risk scale, to me that you get closer to what a warrior would deal with. Now you could say, well, what about a business guy, a businessman who builds his business, he invests everything in his life. And if he loses, he bankrupts himself. Okay. Well, that's a level of risk. It may not be life threatening, but it could get pretty close. I mean, if you go go homeless because you engaged in an an endeavor in a conflict, trying to fight for your business and and build this thing, um, there are aspects of it. It takes willpower. It takes determination, a level of grit, a level of uh, resilience, a level of uh, uh, just uh, the combination of smarts and and uh, 
the desire to to do that those are all ingredients to me of of a warrior when you're you're fighting for your life physically there is something that that will allow you to survive that comes from deeper than your knowledge of movements or of techniques or the your ability to handle a weapon it comes from that heart of saying i will not be dominated i have to win this period like there's you don't have a choice and you know you do get a bit of that i've i've met business people that are driven to that same level of competition that sport athletes are or of you know uh, veterans that that talk about what it was like to be in combat and the fact that you could at that time when you are being tested in that physical conflict did you seek to keep to uh, seek to prevail or did you crumble and freeze and curl up and start crying you know which can happen these are these are very real things that can happen and and within the self defense realm which is you know you are dealing with with physical danger imminent physical threat which could be lethal might not be might just be you know you're worried about injury like any of those right. things are uh, are a risk and you know in talking with people that have had professions where they're dealing with kind of the darker side of humanity they always have to consider what if i'm suddenly faced with some nut job with a knife what if i'm or a gun you know this could be my last day going to work i, I might not go home tonight um to me that gets closer to the realm of what i always envisioned as as being a warrior kind of a mindset of i have to prevail like there, there is it's not a choice it's not a luxury it's not something that would be cool or great it would be this is the difference between me going home or not yeah those are good points because sometimes people are confronted with situations in which they have two choices is crumble or 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 stand up and and deal with whatever the challenge is that that's for sure i mean you were talking the, the audience who doesn't know me i'm a retired guard colonel uh, but i'm also a retired fbi agent so i had two parallel careers uh, one in the military which started and ended uh before and after i was in the fbi but i was a federal agent for 21 years and there have been several occasions in which I was alone with someone who, who was a stone cold killer. And if anyone's, <laughs> I don't want to sound melodramatic because it's not, but I think any job where you deal with lots of human beings and you learn car salesman, a, a news reporter, a law enforcement officer, um, any kind of sales really, uh, you know, any school teachers who deal with, with lots of people learn to read people in a certain way. And, um, you know, you can sometimes, if you don't know somebody's a stone cold killer, um, you can see it in their eyes. You can, you can feel it. There's a vibe that's given off. And, and sometimes if you know they are and they're still giving that vibe off, it can be very disconcerting and, and, um, uh, you know, been alone in a very small interview room with uh, someone like that who uh, started to act a little weird. And it was really down to this guy go sideways and it's me and him in this little bitty, this little bitty interview room. And I mean, it was tiny. And I remember thinking, I hope because there's a camera overhead uh, that I hope the, the person in the radio room looks up and looks at the monitor while we're going at it, because, you know, this guy, um, you know, Frankly, I might have to kill this guy right here. Um, 
it was a weird situation. It's it's worthy of a long a longer story than we'll get to here on your podcast. Just the psychology of that moment, and there were many moments like that. And and you know, if if one's willing to do the kind of job you deal with those kind of people, crumbling or turning around and running away is not is not the option. It's not the right answer. You shouldn't be doing that doing that job. And um, so that kind of goes towards maybe the warrior mindset, certainly personal determination to prevail when necessary. Now, look, I, I study Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I can go in to class on the mat and somebody who's way smaller than me, I'm not, I'm not physically large, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, there are people who are a lot smaller than me who are simply better than I am at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And so they can get a you know, position of, of uh, advantage and then go for a submission and, and, and lay it in. But I'm there to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So it's not an all, you know, a, a, an all out fight, but one has to be prepared in, in certain jobs and professions. And the same thing's true for somebody's gonna get in the ring or an octagon or a cage, is to be prepared to go all out within the limits of of the rules of the uh, engagement, whether that's, you know, a set of laws or if that's rules in a, uh, you know, gladiatorial sporting contest, certainly have to be able to uh, stand up and, and handle the situation and have the determination to see the situation through to a successful conclusion. And in some walks of life, uh, that conclusion is either you live or, or, or not. And so the successful conclusion is that you certainly certainly want to prevail so that you preserve your life. And, and, and insofar as that goes towards mindset, well, I think that's everything. I, I really do. I think that that's absolutely everything. You know, you bring up a really great scenario. of I think what describes the crossover of the, the, the warrior mindset to the, that of a fighter, when you enter that room to, to I assume you're interrogating them or, or doing an interview or, or something with them, but you're alone that part of your mind says, is the is my fighter side able to deal with this guy? Am I trained enough? Am I confident enough? You know, do I look at his size, my size? I know what I can do. I've got an idea maybe of what he can do. And now, now you're looking at it just from a pure fight perspective. Like what, what are my physical um, advantages, disadvantages? Am I gonna come out of this? And this is something that uh, I've got a good friend of mine who's also in law enforcement. He comes from a wrestling background. And uh, he says, I go through this all the time. You know, you eye up somebody like, can, can I handle this, this guy or these people if there are multiple? You know, what, what are yeah. my odds here? So you slip into that fighter mindset, but that's kind of a subset of the overall, uh, you know, condition. If you, and that might be, maybe not an isolated scenario like you have where you have this monster contained in a room and you decide to enter in by yourself with him, but that might be, you know, in a, in an environment where you are with somebody that you maybe don't feel confident that you could physically handle that if you got into it with him, he would prevail or they would, if it was multiple people. And I think many martial artists, almost everybody that's got at least even an understanding of violence, realizes you can get yourself into a trouble that even having tremendous talent you might not walk away from like there's a chance that you could be overwhelmed or you could be taken out like any realist would say you know at least it's not delusional thinking there's some kind of martial arts god um could say you know i could 
I could get vested and this could be my last day. Um, but I, I think this is a good separation between the, 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 the strategic part of the warrior mind and the tactical side of the fighter. And, um, you know, that sport fight has really has that, that aspect of, all right, what's my opponent? Can I take him out? Do I know his background? I know how he fights. I've studied him. Like that's where the, that fighter really spends a lot of his focus. Um, but it's part of that broader warrior sense. And, and I want to jump in with one of my favorite quotes, quotes from, uh, Heraclitus who taught, he said, uh, out of every hundred men, and I've got it right here. So I'll just read it out of every okay. 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters and we're lucky to have them for they make the battle. Uh, but the one, the one is a warrior and he will bring the others back. And that says to me that just like what you talked about, there's a certain level of strategic sense, intelligence, problem solving. It's not just the fighter side that says, I can handle this guy and I know what techniques I'd use to do it. I know what approach I would use to do it. Sort of that hard physical aspect, but the, the strategic aspect. And to me, that's a big part of what makes the warrior mindset. And not where I think like a business person, that's, they are very strategic. They have to think about every move they make and whether or not it, it gains their, their project or what have you. And not to say that business people, I would classify as warriors, but there's an aspect to it that, that general, you know, the general on the battlefield who's trying to win that battle and save the lives of his men. And that's where I think that quote comes in is the strategic uh, side of the warrior mind. And it's not a fighting mind. It's not to go cause fights or create fights when there wouldn't be one or create conflict because you like it or enjoy it. It's you do it because you have to, because it will bring, and maybe this is where we cross over into the peacemaker side of the warrior mindset. It could be, but Heraclitus' quote, um, you know, about that one, um, what that says to me is somebody who is able to adapt to a change, a rapidly changing set of circumstances, mm -hmm. because he talked about the nine who they were lucky to have because they were the real, the real fighters. Then you had the one warrior who'd make sure that they would all come home. And to me, now look, I've I've never been in combat. I was an intelligence officer, um, and I've been to the Middle East, but I was in the rear with the gear. <laughs> uh, doing secret squirrel stuff. Um, you'll never hear me um, make up anything about my military or law enforcement service. I've done nothing spectacular in either. I was the epitome of average um, in both in both careers. Um, I have never done anything that I would call heroic. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I've been in, I've, I've been in some very dangerous situations, but just as part of the job, and I didn't do anything that my cohorts wouldn't have done or were doing at the same time. But there's, but you know, we look at. Uh, I listen to Chael Sonnen sometimes. Uh, he said, you know, the person who wins the MMA match isn't necessarily the best fighter; it's the best fighter that night. And you can listen to others talk doesn't matter the combat sport boxing wrestling mma muay thai uh an honest competitor will say anybody can get you uh anybody can be gotten there's a uh, 
uh, it's been around for a long time. It's been attributed to Mike Tyson, but it certainly predates him that everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face. And so uh, in the quote from Heraclitus, that one is someone, in my view, who can rapidly adapt to rapidly changing circumstances when chaos reigns, they can see through the chaos and see the operation or the mission through to the end. And those people are, those people I think are, um, well, they're unique. And so that why, why there's this 2000 year old quote that, that uh, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's even older than that, that talks about that one. And that's somebody who, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you could say has a strategic view, which really helps when everything around you is utter chaos. But also as 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 the the self awareness coupled with with the self confidence to be able to deal with those circumstances, because in any if we're going to talk about you know combat, whether it's glad what I have described as gladiatorial combat, or we're talking about all-out war, um, you, well, I'm going down a path I don't really think I want to go down right now. It would be too confusing. So, um, well, I could jump having, in with, with something that occurs to me here too, and that is go ahead, please. the influence that we often have with movies and TV in, in envisioning a warrior being this greater than life epic hero who like uh achilles is able to face you know hundreds of men and and or musashi his stories of you know surviving battles and and prevailing in, in every fight that he's ever been in and and we we almost get drawn into glorifying the the facing of danger and being able to easily survive it because of what we see from action movies and uh, you know, sword and sorcery movies and things like that, which are, in terms of real violence, completely different from what real actual violence is. And 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 I'm also brought up another quote that I really like from uh, Field Marshal Erwin, Erwin Rommel, and he said that sweat saves blood, blood saves lives, and brains save both. And to me, that says a warrior is not just about getting in the greatest battle and fighting the greatest odds. He's about fighting smart and saving his men, his own life, and, and prevailing in a way that uses strategy to avoid risk, not to just go yeah. into the big risk to be a big hero. Um, and in that sense, I think that it's it's easy for us to take great action movies and, and things like that and allow those things to distort our view of what a warrior is and to think it's just a grand, it's an epic level fighter who's able to beat everybody you know, your Conan the Barbarian or, you know, something of that nature. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think as, I think as human beings, uh, we, we tend to look at, you know, to an idyllic figure as a, as a fighter. Um, I, I don't know how many people listening to or watching this podcast have, um, you know, met an actual commando. Um, but Hollywood will recruit a bodybuilder to play a commando. But if you actually, if excuse, if you meet an actual commando, you might be underwhelmed as to their physicality, because these are people who they they don't necessarily. I'm not saying they don't, 
I'm saying it generally speaking, if you look at a room full of, of guys who are commandos, they're obviously in very good physical condition, but they are not big giant guys with muscles bulging out everywhere. Uh, they're not, they're, they're usually long and lean, you know, the kind of guys that can get on a pull-up bar and do 30 dead hang to dead hang pull-ups and then go run 10 miles and, you know, you know, 49 minutes, uh, you know, that kind of guy, not a, a guy who has, you know, like I said, muscle coming out of muscle, but Hollywood is not going to cast somebody, generally speaking, who looks normal. They're either going to cast a typical actor who's 20 pounds underweight, which is wrong, or they're going to cast a bodybuilder, like, you know, who, who is way out of proportion to what, you know, a real um, a commando w- w- would would look like. But, but people would want either the, the uh, actor, because he's an actor, and we all know they're 20 pounds underweight, you know, and, and, uh, and, and then the bodybuilder, and, and neither is realistic, but what we tend to like, because you brought it up, is Conan the Barbarian, mm-hmm. the same actor. That's visually uh, former, appealing on, on a screen. Yeah. Is visually appealing on a screen, also was in that movie Commando, the, the, you know, Mr. Schwarzenegger, the former governor of California. So we have this archetype that we look up to, but it's the same thing in the realm of uh, fantasy. And, uh, you know, look at superheroes. Um, the so you know there's there's a and we look at the um uh the panoply of of greek and roman gods and how they were portrayed in in sculpture and statuary so you know we we have a tendency to put things on a pedestal and it's an archetype of what that thing is when in reality it's probably nothing like that for example uh you know the the person who is who is uh, reported to be the most highly decorated American soldier in World War II was Audie L. Murphy, all five feet, four inches of him. You know, um, uh, read some Medal of Honor citations and, and, and look at some of those folks and, and they all look pretty normal average because the, the heroism and the abilities is from the inside, not the outside, although there has to be some certain level of physicality to do, to do those things. And, and I, I think that we, we, what we think of when we think of a warrior is, again, it's, an, it's more of an archetype when we visualize it, but that doesn't go to what a human can actually do. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm be going different places here, Tristan, so you can rein me in. Sure. But a buddy of mine uh, who was a uniformed police officer for a long time, uh, he, first of all, he said that the most successful law enforcement is when nobody goes to jail. So that goes back to the peace officer idea. And, uh, and the second thing is he tells a story about when they, he and, his, and another officer pulled this guy over in Houston. And this guy was, uh, you know, five feet, seven, 130 pounds, sopping wet meth head. And um, the guy he was with, the police officer, is like six feet, three, 200 and, you know, 60 pound uh, bodybuilder. He called, my, my friend called the, the other officer Zeus. And he said the little the, the meth head just up and drop kicked him, you know, just like WWE drop kick, drop kicked this enormous uh, police officer um, that my buddy called Zeus. 
and put him on the ground. And then they were in for a, a hellacious fight. And this little guy didn't have a shirt on and he was sweaty. And so he was slimy and they had a real hard time, um, you know, getting that guy restrained and into custody. So it doesn't go to, you can may attribute that to intoxication of some level in that particular case. But my point is you can't just look at somebody if they're the archetype and believe that they're going to prevail based on a certain physicality. And I think as martial artists and, and, and for anyone who deals, whether they're working a door at a nightclub or whether they're a uniform security professional or whether they're a law enforcement officer, you know, you, we all have a tendency to, to start out judging a book by its cover. And we, we, you know, sometimes we're right. You know, I, I don't want to, sometimes we are right, but sometimes we can be wrong. And, and to understand that, you know, the ability to prevail in a situation really, really does come from what's up here. And, and then it, and it leads me back to what you said about the Rommel quote, you know, Sun Tzu uh, teaches that uh, the, the, you know, best victory is one in which you don't actually have to fight your opponent. Right. You know, which goes to strategic thinking. So um, th this is what's interesting about, about human conflict is that it is such a vast topic and as a consumer of martial arts pod related podcasts, uh, my podcast leans heavily towards military and martial arts subjects. Um, you know, studying martial arts in my life, having been in the military and law enforcement for multiple decades, and I did 39 years in military uniform, um, from private to colonel, the, uh, that, that we talk about human violence, and it is... In encompassing subject, sir, mm -hmm. and, and how we as individuals and societies deal with it. And it is one of the most talked about and celebrated subjects, as well as one of the most talked about and reviled subjects, one that we glorify in our TV shows and our movies, and which we also, we also speak about derisively. Um, when it happens in real life and violence can be take the form of whole nation states fighting each other down to two people fighting each other, you know, in, in an alleyway or, you know, in an agreed fight for, you know, prize money or, or, or a belt or a ring or a, or a hat or something, you know, and that's it's the a definition vast, vast of war that you've defined. And, and most of us, when we think of war as two states that go, to war against one another and they have their armies and whatnot but as you said war can do come down to two individuals uh or or groups i mean a, a gang members in a violent right violent neighborhoods they're certainly warriors they're in an ongoing series of conflicts and battles all the time and and that's something that i think uh needs to be appreciated obviously a smart person doesn't put them in a, themselves in a place where they are surrounded by violence all the time I think a wise person figures out how to move and, and to put their life in such a way where they're not in the trenches, so to speak. Yes. Um, you know, I would say that, that uh, you know, a, a spouse living with an abusive husband or wife is a warrior. They're dealing with on, ongoing, constant uh, warfare. 
and it's perhaps more of a spiritual nature or an emotional nature, maybe, maybe not physical, although it might be. Um, yeah. There's certainly plenty of examples of that, but the, the, the PTSD or the, the emotional damage that happens from being exposed to that, that those ongoing threats and, and intimidation and, and manipulation and violence is, you know, the, uh, the same, I would say, as any, any combat veteran. Um, you know, it's very damaging to the soul. And I think that that's where uh, we as martial artists, and I think we discussed this a little bit on the, on the interview, the chat we had about Aikido, in that Aikido, like many martial artists, many martial arts, the practitioners often hyper-focus on like, what are the techniques? What are the physical motions? What are the physical movements? They think like a fighter. And the, the irony, especially within the Aikido community, is the range of people who think like a fighter, but yet completely reject the idea of violence or concept of violence at all. And they will often advocate if you're ever in a place where there might be violence, you just leave. Or, or if you're faced with it right to your face, you just run away. And that's the biggest irony to me is thinking like a fighter and thinking about uh, you know, studying the physical aspects of physical conflict. And then when you actually get to the point where you might have to use it, then you just flee. And that's the only kind of strategic approach that you have. The only card in your deck is just run away. That seems very odd to me. But obviously, even if on the other side of that, you have the people that are very physically competent, they can't sink into just feeling like, okay, now it's time for me to unleash all this physical stuff that I've been training. And now it's time for me to turn into a fighter and just like a missile, just go. Um, if they do, they can lose sight of that strategic view that might uh, interrupt them and say, what you're about to do, what you're about to unleash yourself, that might be the worst thing you can do right now. So be, you know, don't do that. Well, if you yeah. don't listen to that side and you just off you go, now you can wind up, you know, basically being like a kamikaze or, or some sort of berserk where you can, you know, go into a situation probably wasn't the smart thing to do, but you did it anyway. And now you either get beat up or, or worse, or, you know, something happens where you later regret it. Um, so to me, that's how I see that fighter realm. And then obviously the peacekeeper is the, is the, the, uh, the dilemma and whether it's, you know, a father that fights for the safety of his family or, you know, a brother or sister or something of that nature where you can't just run away and leave somebody innocent or you witness an innocent person getting victimized and you say, well, if I, if I intervene, this could be dangerous for me. So I'm just going to leave or something of that nature. I think this is where the subject of, I need to reestablish peace. There is, there is discord here. There's something happening that is, that is inhuman or, you know, beneath civility and I need to intercede and put a stop to it. And you know, I, I've heard people argue against, well, you know, that's for that's for the law to do. That's for, you know, police officers to do. But the reality is police officers can't cover everything. And uh, no. I live in Minneapolis and we're, we're living through that right now uh, yes. and have been for the last year of what happens when there isn't anybody at the other end of the phone that can come and save you when you need it. Uh, and this is, I think, not unique to Minneapolis. It's not even unique to our modern world. This has been throughout history. There are times when you may need to, to step in right now at this moment to save yourself or an innocent person. And, you know, there aren't any hard and fast rules about the judgment of when should you do it and when should you not. That's, 
each is each person's judgment. But I think in terms of martial artists, at least most of the ones that I've talked to, one of the reasons they train is for for the time when should that happen, they will have the best chance of reestablishing peace. And they do that out of commitment for their their own safety, the safety of their families, the safety of their community, and the safety of society in general. And, and to me, that's noble. I, I, whether you wear a badge or or not, taking on that responsibility of saying, I am I want to be a, a peacekeeper, whether it's just my neighborhood or or what have you, that's a noble purpose. What uh, what, were, what are your thoughts on that? No, I agree with everything that you've said. Um, and I think that's where thinking strategically really comes in because you know, if we go back to what you said about somebody saying or having in their mind that, well, if I get into some conflict, I'll just run away. Well, what's the contingency plan if that's not the option? Uh, has that been thought through? Because it's not always going to be an option. Avoiding trouble, I would obviously and every time encourage people to avoid trouble. I mean, there's an old saying and I and and. You know, at my late 50s, I believe it's true is that nothing good happens after midnight. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a good rule of thumb. Uh, if somebody frequents an area of town in which there are lots of young men consuming alcohol, probably if you're not gone by midnight, I, I mean, 10 o'clock is probably a good time, but certainly midnight because that's when the ruckus is going to start. And if that's you're where the adult, risk goes up. That's right. It's when the risk goes up. So, I mean, that's I, I'm not trying to give pe people listening or watching instructions. And what I'm saying is that's where thinking strategically comes in. And um, because that's very important. But when we talk about keeping the peace, this is something I was reading just very recently. And I can't remember where um, what I was reading it in. But it was talking about, is it can you use force to keep the peace and whether or not the use of force in keeping the peace is it's kind of may sound circular but is proper because it's not peaceful and can you really keep the peace by by not being peaceful and and i think that you know a person could get wrap their mind around an axle uh, with that problem. Uh, so I default to actual human experience over the last 5,000 years of uh, recorded history is that, yeah, sometimes to keep the peace, you have to use force. And the application of that force upon an individual or individuals may indeed be a violent application, but that's what's necessary to, to preserve and or maintain the peace. And I think some people, they, they, they haven't thought about peacekeeping or violence in those terms, and um, and and they probably need to, uh, you know. And and in fact, on my business um, email uh, below my signature block, it says violence is a tool of evil peace uh, excuse me <laughs> force is a tool of of good and, and but can you apply force without violence not always so even there's there's a philosophical disconnect in that one line you know violence is a tool of evil and force is a tool 
uh, of good. Yeah, but what if the application of force is violent? Because sometimes it's necessary. How do I know that? Because there's 5,000 years of human history that's been written down that tells us so. And, and especially the last 2,500 years of that 2,000 years. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, so to be peaceful and a peaceful warrior is fine if one is ready to actually be the warrior part. And we talked about Aikido in my podcast when you were on, and, and I, I, I know that's not what you want to talk about specifically here, but I, I've given a lot of thought about Aikido because I've, I've spoken to you and I've spoken to Christopher Heim from a, uh, uh, Aikido Discuss podcast and Aikido of Fresno. And, and I go back to this notion that some Aikido practitioners, and I consume a lot of Aikido material um, uh, on YouTube just to watch, is that if, if somebody is attracted to a martial art for the purposes of being able to, quote, take care of themselves, close quote, whatever that means to them, but they want to do it in a peaceful way, simply doesn't comport with actual human behavior, especially in dealing with violence. So one can be a peaceful warrior as long as one has the ability to be the, to be the warrior when it's necessary. And, and being that warrior when it's necessary, it may be necessary to keep the peace. And then that person has to apply force. And the application of that force may be violent. And so we go back to the question of violence. And, and, and so in, in human society, as I see it, um, and man, I got to tell you, Tristan, I'm a big Star Trek geek going back to, you know, I mean, I can actually have a, me don't know why, a memory of, of uh, the original series mm -hmm. in broadcast 1969, uh, season three of the original series. That's how my geekdom goes back to being five, <laughs> uh, or, uh, you know, years old. And, um, and Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future is great, but the idea that we will grow out of our, uh, you know, the, the base instinctive behaviors that we as the human primate have, I think is really, is, is very hopeful, but asking too much in terms of reality. So, um, so I, I think, you know, so we're talking about the warrior mindset. If somebody believes that they have it, they have to be willing to employ it in the right circumstances when it is appropriate, when it is appropriate to do so. And when you were, when you were laying this out a few moments ago, it got me to thinking about us as martial artists. And I'm a martial arts student. I can't say I'm a martial artist. Um, I'm a student of martial arts. I don't think I'll ever achieve martial artist level. Um, but there's so much focus on techniques and it gets to the point where it was probably somebody typing. If this goes up on YouTube, there's somebody who, who's typing right now about, about how, you know, there's techniques that suck and their technique techniques are better because they study fill in the black martial art. Well, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's really defining the, uh, the conversation down to just an aspect. It's like looking through looking through a cardboard tube when you get finished with your roll of uh, paper towel and, and concentrating on technique because 
because technique doesn't always doesn't always win the day. And, and I go back to my quote of Chael Sonnen, who said, you know, the best the winner of the match may not be the best fighter, just the best fighter that night. Well, how come there might be somebody who's the best fighter that night, but between the two of them is not the best fighter. And also you can point out, it's been pointed out by other people, not original with me. How come there's a guy who goes to the pub every Friday, and Saturday night. And uh, if he gets in the fight, knocks everybody out, who's never trained, not one day in any kind of combat sport or martial art, never, but he's just uh, that bloke over there who you don't want to mess with. Uh, why? Well, it, you know, it could, it could rest largely on physicality, but I think it rests mo mostly on that person's mindset. But then that takes us to, to, again, part of the techniques win the day conversation is that a lot of martial artists don't pay any attention to, and I say a lot, I mean, I don't know how many, but I know there are martial artists who pay no attention to physical fitness, mm -hmm. you know, none whatsoever. And as I told you when we were talking last, is that there's a lady at my jujitsu gym who is uh, a belt higher than I am and who's better than me. And she can submit me quite often, even though if I walked up to her, I could pick her up and throw her across the gym. You know, the size differential, she's really tiny and, she, and she's really petite. I can pick her up and throw her across the gym. How do I know this? Because I know what I can deadlift. And I know that I can pick her up and throw her across the room. Her jujitsu will not save her from me picking her up and throwing her across the room if that's what I decided to do and she didn't know it. You know, but if we're training and we know we're trying to train a certain set of techniques, she's better because that's what I'm doing. Right. So somebody, you know, you can, a person can be physically outmatched. It doesn't matter what they train in or how much training they have. And that's what goes back to having, you know, a strategic mindset and also being self-aware of what one is really capable of, you know, and, um, and, and not tangling with somebody who just because, hey, you know, I've studied this fill in the blank for X number of years and this, this dude has studied nothing. You can tell. Don't don't sell the opponent short. You know we should never underestimate our enemy, so to speak, or underestimate our opponent. And I think it goes back to yeah, you know, again the strategic thought process, the and the and which formulates part of the warrior mindset. Because if you don't have the strategic thought process that goes along with what other people would talk, you know, when we say the warrior mindset then you're not really talking about a warrior. You know, you're, you're talking about maybe a brawler and that's Athletic. about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and as you said, when we started this, uh, this uh, show, he's called him a fighter. So, yeah. So there's no real strategic thought behind it. They just, you know, you know, and I, I think I like the, the point that you hit on and, and I guess I would call the word sophisticated where we, where we're, where we are in society, human human development right now, a lot of times people think themselves sophisticated enough that they can always negotiate their way out of a conflict. That they, they give their, they view their opponent much like they are, probably very intelligent, very articulate. And they, they view that if there's a conflict between two civilized people, we can discuss it out or negotiate a peace. And I think people that tend to think like that have not seen the dark side of humanity. They have not been with somebody who is thinking like a savage. They are beneath negotiation. They will not be reasoned with. 
Um, they are angry, they're in a rage, uh, they won't be cajoled, they only want submission uh, and to unleash their aggression. And I guess from a, perhaps you could call it a rules of engagement type of approach, this to me, the strategic mind says, okay, let's try to avoid violence. Is there any other way to solve this problem? And you may have a few moments to think of a good plan or may, maybe not, um, but the violence should always be, or the force, you could use that word as well, should be the last card to play from your hand. It shouldn't be, oh, I've got this fighter inside me and it's time to unleash him. And okay, well, this, this sounds like it, so let him go. It's mm -hmm. try to figure out, is there a peaceful way to, to resolve this? If there's a way without that we can avoid this being a big problem and what, whatever you can think of, certainly try it, certainly do it. If, if you can succeed that way, Sun Tzu would give you his stamp of approval for not, for winning the war without fighting the battle. Um, but should the time or the opportunity, I shouldn't say opportunity, should you be forced into no other option when you decide to unleash that fighter, he should prevail. And maybe you need to maneuver your, the person you're in conflict with or the parties you're in conflict with peacefully maneuver to a position of advantage. So if, if it does, that switch has to be thrown, you will have the best chance of taking control of that situation. Uh, and prevailing with the use of force and, and not overusing it. And this, I think, is something right. that any good uh, self-defense attorney will warn somebody about when they, when they, when they want, when they say, well, I'm going to be carrying, I want to start carrying a weapon or carrying a gun, or I'm going to protect myself with, you know, whatever you know how to do. And they'll say, well, be very careful because in a blink of an eye, you can go from justified self-defense into attempted murder. And it can be in the span of less than a second, because once somebody who attacks you submits, you no longer are justified in applying force or violence to them anymore. And this is the, one of the problems with what I would call the fighting mindset versus the warrior mindset or the peacekeeper mindset is the peacekeeper knows once peace has been restored, you stop like that's it. But the fighter, can go a little overboard because sometimes people will actively use adrenaline or they will get carried away by their adrenaline and go farther than uh, because of the emotional part of dealing with violence that can come up. And to me, this is where training comes in, where you know when you have control, you know how much and more importantly, what the limits of the force you're going to apply are or should be. And that's why we train. It's not to trained to do harm or trained to hurt people, you can learn to do that in a very short time. What takes a long time is learning how to control without injuring or harming somebody or having to take it to a very high level of, of damage or injury. And, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this with you is, uh, and I think this is important for every martial artist to understand, is the difference between a military violence approach and a civilian violence approach. Um, because when it comes to fighting or, or self-defense or martial arts, many people think it's like, okay, now I'm defending myself, it's go time. I'm gonna absolutely do everything I can to rip this person apart to get them to stop attacking me. Um, and there are a few times when that is completely just, justified, but right. uh, sometimes it's not, you can go overboard and 
and it, at very least, it would be a poor fit to take the military battlefield mindset of complete disregard for your opponent into a civilian realm where this could be at a restaurant, could be at a concert or, or some, some sort of environment where you go all military on somebody. Um, and I think that's a big differentiation to, to make to people, for, especially for martial artists, we civilians who are learning a martial art, but chances are we're gonna be in a civilian environment when we have to use it, not in a military or a battlefield type environment. Um, maybe you could address your thoughts on that a little bit. No, I think you're right. I think you've set the table very well, but you got me thinking about, uh, you, you know, first of all, also I'm a lawyer. So, um, people oh, I didn't write, know that. Write the lawyer, every day. Okay. The lawyer jokes and the, nice. you know, I, 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 uh, I love those. Um, in, in self-defense, the use of force has to be reasonable and proportional and that use is very is based solely upon the facts of that event. That's everything's fact driven. Um, and so I make that point because, you know, say somebody gets a license to carry a concealed handgun. That's great. But that doesn't mean you can use it because some guy across the parking lot yells, hey, you know, you're ugly. I'm going to kick your ass. That is not the time to to unsheath that firearm and point it at the person because that is not that is not reasonable and proportional to uh to somebody yelling something like that and in most states pointing a firearm just pointing of it would be uh, aggravated assault which in my state will get you five years in prison mm -hmm. so um that, that's where again the strategic thinking has to come in one has to put thought behind the use of any kind of force well, you talked about you know, um, I think you used the term blatant disregard in, in, in regards to the use of military force. The last time the United States uh, blatantly disregarded anything outside of, of winning in a war was World War II. Ever since then, there have been more and more rules that are placed on the use of force. When I was going through the Air Command and Staff College, um, which is the school that majors go through um, so they can make lieutenant colonel. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the military, the profession of arms and the profession of arms is the, in, in the context of one lesson, because it stuck with me is uh, that we as military officers are managers of violence, managers of violence. Not, viol not violators, not violent individuals, managers of violence that could only be used within the rules of warfare. And there are rules of warfare, international law that, that the United States follows. And then in each conflict, there are rules of engagement and how military force may be applied. But, you know, that's analogous to the use, the, uh, the application of force in any context. A police officer can only use force that's reasonable and proportional in the performance of his or her duties in accordance with the law. And so they not only have, you know, US, the U.S. Constitution that they have to follow all the time, but any applicable federal laws, even if they're a local officer, certainly state law in the state in which they operate, and, and then any, you know, city ordinances that may apply 
uh, in states in which counties can, can make ordinances, any county ordinances which may apply, plus the policies and procedures manual of the department that they work for. So they have to operate within a very distinct rule set. And the same thing's true for civilians in terms of self-defense. You know, so you, again, it goes back to uh, facts and circumstances are, are important to the, or the most important thing to the analysis. And then the use of force has to be, has to be reasonable, reasonable and proportional. And, and you brought it up earlier about just, I'm just going to go unleashed on this person and just, you know, go, 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 go. Um, as soon as you've eliminated whatever the threat is in that particular situation, then if you apply more force than what is necessary, and I said reasonable and proportional, you could throw in the word necessary as well um, to that, um, then, then that's more force than you need. And then what may be uh, a lawful self-defense situation can become unlawful in the eyes of the police and most importantly, the prosecutor, who's really going to be the linchpin in, a, in any self-defense matter. And so having the, you know, I think martial arts training is great, especially if the martial arts school actually talks about using the martial art on the street and not in a boastful way. You can look up, you know, some school someplace in which they pride themselves on teaching, as some people say, for the streets. And any of those, those who, who teach, who want their students to actually not only have some physical skill, but have the mindset to appropriately use that physical skill. And, and that's, that's extremely, extremely important. In fact, that's the most important thing, really, is, is that mindset. Yeah. Not only had to be able to have the warrior mindset of determination and the willingness to succeed in, in um, a very bad circumstance or situation, but to know what the limits are sure. to whatever force or tool that one may be using to, uh, to uh, defend oneself against whatever the threat may be. Yeah, and the, you know, with the tools, I mean, I've been since I've been six years old, and I got a firearms instructor, advanced self-defense firearms instructor, all that stuff. Uh, but what I found is, in looking at it, this was a profound thing I came across years ago, and that said, at least here in the United States, only five percent, roughly, of the violent exchanges justify the use of lethal force. So if all I knew how to do was draw a pistol what are the odds that it would be over overkill if I were to actually shoot somebody with it? Well, you know, 95%. So my, then the question was, what do I do in that other 95% where I am, you know, I am being subject to a, a, a level of force, but I, I, it's not justified for me to use lethal force. And I would, I'd use the same criteria for me throwing somebody on, on their head and breaking their skull or, or their neck or something like that, which, you know, Aikido, Judo, any throwing art has got a capable capability of causing pretty severe damage just by throwing somebody on their head. And, yeah. and I, I love the way that you put it. And this is language I use myself is that what is a proportional response? What is, what does this circumstance call for? What's the minimum amount you can up force you can apply to get your end, which is to reestablish that piece. Um, 
and that's boy there's so many circumstances we could we could talk for months and not cover all of them of right. what's required you know what who are you dealing with what what mindset are they in and we often talk about the warrior mindset but a big factor is what are you facing are you facing a raw animal that's about ready to chew your face off or are you facing somebody that's a little little belligerent maybe they're you know behaving like a jackass and you need to just get them away from you or or back it down or whatever uh, I think a lot of people, when they talk about this subject, would just love it for, for the formula to be easy and simple. And, and unfortunately, because of the complexities of human behavior and of human conflict, there is no one simple cookie cutter answer. Uh, no. To me, though, you can boil them down to a few rules, a few kind of simple rules to keep in mind, because it's too elaborate. Once you're under stress, you're not going to remember you know, anything elaborate. But one is don't use force if you can use your cunning. But if you if all of your cunning fails you and you have to, finish it quickly. Don't play around with your food. Don't have it be complicated. Just keep it simple and immobilize somebody if you can. If you can't and they keep coming at you, you might have to hurt them. And that's, that's where your personal judgment comes in. Uh, how much do they take? And I recall reading a book. I, I, I wish I could remember the author. I think it may have been um, in Meditations on Violence by Rory Miller, where he talked about uh, he had a bit of a jujitsu background, or at least the author did it. If I'm mistaking it for Rory Miller, then I apologize. But he 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 came from a jujitsu background. He was pretty well trained, um, and he was on on the job as a bouncer, and he had this drunk guy, and this this guy was getting belligerent with him, and so he said, "I kind of spun him and dropped him. Really elegant, super soft." didn't you know harm this dude at all he says in fact i, I kind of wish there was a camera there because i did a really good job of being super smooth with him <laughs> and he said the guy just thought he fell he got back up and he kept right at it and he said the thing i learned on the job both with that incident and a couple of others is sometimes people are in a, are in a state of mind where they need he called it an ai or an attitude interrupter it was something to jar them out of their mental mindset of I'm going to be belligerent, I'm going to have my way, I'm going to dominate another person or cause damage or whatever discord they were they were, you know, enter entertaining with some disharmony. And he said, as much as I love the cool and smooth, uh, you know, and it wasn't Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I think it was more of a traditional standing jiu-jitsu similar to Aikido, but he said, I love all that stuff, but sometimes you need to kind of get somebody in the brain to make them realize this isn't just accidental. I'm controlling you. And if you don't stop, you're going to run into a hard wall here. So mm -hmm. let's back it off. Um, and I thought that was a profound sentiment because oftentimes we think about our own mindset of being smart and calm and focused, intent, but controlled. But it's easy to overlook the mindset of the person you're dealing with. And this is where I come back to Sun Tzu's, you know, if you know yourself and you know your enemy in a hundred battles, you'll never be in peril. We often right. look at ourselves so diligently and we overlook what could we possibly be dealing with or what, where is this other person coming from? What do they need from me to have them stop their violence? And, um, and I think those are some profound questions and an appreciation of don't just think about yourself, but also think about what, where this other person's at, what do they need to, to stop them? You know, and, and I'm sure with, you know, your experience in law enforcement, you've probably seen or heard of, you know, some crazy 
people that needed a lot to put a stop to their aggression. Um, you know, that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I understand. Was that book by Angus McYoung or was Mark, it Rory? Mark Moore? McYoung. It could have been. I, I don't think Mark it was McYoung? Mark McYoung, although he's kind of within that cadre Mark. of people that wrote about self-defense yeah. from, from a very practical and real world standpoint. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I, I just listened to some ACDC and that's where the that Angus comes from. Angus, but yeah. anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't they're know. related. <laughs> but no, you, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and everything you said, I, I, I certainly agree with you. And I, um, I, I tell you, if we just, if we did an episode just talking about self-defense, it would, we could we could do it for several hours and only get to the to really scratch the surface because there's so many things that go into it and then most people default to techniques but what's going to work in a fight well these things you know boxing wrestling judo etc cetera, etc cetera. and these other martial arts they never work in a fight and few people sit and talk about about the use of one's mind in um in any kind of human conflict I, I will say that, and you see it on martial arts uh, school and dojo doors all the time, so leave your ego outside. Mm -hmm. And that's great advice, but it's also great advice uh, going through life in terms of interpersonal conflict. It's so easy to say, and it's so utterly hard to do, is leave one's ego um, outside or leave it aside and dealing with other people because can certainly diffuse a lot of conflict. A person can diffuse a lot of conflict um, using their mind and using their words if they try. And I always commend the book Verbal Judo mm -hmm. to, uh, to everybody. I, I recently reread it because at a gas station, um, I, I was a jerk to a guy. Mm -hmm. And it could have become a fight. Didn't get anywhere close to that. But as soon as it was over, uh, I, and my wife was driving her car. We were pulled up at a gas station. There's a dude in front of us in the car just sitting there. And it's like clocks ticking and he's sitting there. He's not moving, not moving. So I go to the passenger side, just tap on the window and wave at him and say, you know, said, Hey, um, you going to fill up or you know, what, what's the deal? And my wife was annoyed. So I was annoyed. Mm. What I should have asked is hi, uh, uh, is, do, you, do you need any help? Is there anything I can do to help? Because um, we've been waiting behind you. You hadn't moved. Just want to make sure everything's okay. That's a way different approach. And one in which you are now a friendly person approaching for a friendly reason, but the result's going to be the same. The guy was looking at his phone. He said, I'm dealing with the situation. Um, and he probably was. Who knows what it was, but he probably was. So I came with aggressive in my voice. And, um, and, and so after that, and I say nothing happened, but I got back into my wife's car as he was getting ready to pull out and we'd pull up to the pump. And I just thought, what the hell is the matter with me? I know better than to do that. That was that, you know, I, I let my wife, and she wasn't overly annoyed. She wasn't angry, but she was a little annoyed. She's an impatient person. So that, you know, I was feeling that vibe. So I was getting annoyed and I projected it to this guy. 
well, I don't know what his situation was, but what if it was so bad he needed to take it out on me, you know? And because of my approach, I was, this may be a family show, I was a dick. And like I said, as soon as I, nothing happened, as soon as I got all right, we're coming back from a slight technical glitch. Uh, we want to follow up with Colonel Halsey with his story about uh, the interaction at the gas station. Uh, maybe carry, carry on with that. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, my Wi-Fi just simply dumped. Um, back online now. Yeah, again, um, you know, tell, if, some, if the guy were to tell the story about uh, what happened at the gas station, I would have been the, uh, I would have been the jerk in the story. And, and as I mentioned, it caused me to bring out you know, reread the book Verbal Judo, which I since I have a bookshelf behind me. Uh, here it is, Verbal Judo, and uh, the author is uh, George Thompson, and he's he's gone now. He's no longer with us, but I, I think uh, the ability to use tactical communication with people is um, something that is, uh, frankly, it's not taught to cops very much, if at all. And uh, it's not taught to martial arts students very much at all. And, uh, you know, it really should be because, you know, you never know who you're dealing with on the street, what they may have on them. Um, and it's always better to, uh, to use tactical communication rather than, you know, close physical tactics if uh, one can help it. Sure. You know, when you tell that story, it, it, it strikes me that, that a warrior tends to view things in terms of what is their level of importance, like what would require them to engage. And, and I've felt this too in dealing with uh, high crisis situations. When you are in uh, a situation of, of, of immediate peril, emergencies, you could describe them that way, you quickly sort out what needs to be dealt with right now and what is not important. And I think most of the things that we that we deal with in our normal lives, when we're get, you know, cut off in traffic or we deal with an incon a mild inconvenience, it may seem to us that that's important. But when you really deal with a heavy duty crisis, you realize in the grand scheme of things, no, it's not important. Somebody cuts ahead of you in line in the grocery store, is that really important? Not really important. Um, and this is something I think a lot of soldiers that that encounter a battlefield situation or pol uh, police officers who deal with um, very dangerous, extremely dangerous or lethal situations, uh, severe car accidents, that kind of level of emergency, get a dose of kind of the that reality of what's truly important and things that are just not worth bothering with. And, I, and this is the part of what I would consider the warrior mindset of just putting in proportion what is worth getting anxious about or what is worth getting uh, your, um, how would you call it, your assertive mind, like your problem solving, we solve this crisis uh, approach going. And for most of daily life, I find that this is oftentimes with, with veterans, especially combat veterans, they seem, uh, people around them, their family and whatnot will say they're disengaged. They don't really they, they're not emotionally invested in their friends, their family, what's going on around them. And I think that might be the case that they have just been in situations where they're fighting for their lives and having to deal with severe danger. And the idea of, you know, are we going to go for coffee with your cousin or something like that is just not important. And they, they do kind of disengage that way. Um, 
and I think it's a it's a reality check. Not to say that we we should all be emotionally disengaging from what's going on around us, but to have the reality check of what's really worth allowing your blood to get heated or to get upset or to get frustrated and allowing that frustration to be vented on other people. And we're all, I think we are all guilty of it. I know I, I get agitated when, uh, when I'm dealing with, with provocations or people that are upset or, you know, even I get frustrated and upset and sometimes, you know, express it when I, I come afterwards and just like you say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I should have, I should have, you know, kept my perspective and realized that it wasn't worth getting in an argument or, or getting heated or even getting frustrated about. Um, and I think we're in a time now where there's so many people are, are frustrated. There's so much going on. And, uh, and I'll date this. We're, we're talking in uh, March of 2021, where we've been under lockdown for about a year now. Um, people are, are feeling the effects of, of being uh, isolated from one another, from personal contact. Uh, they've been frustrated with not being allowed some someone to go back to work. They're stuck in their homes. Uh, I think these are all recipes for, uh, for frustration and they feel isolated. And, and I, when you get farther away from human contact, you sometimes lose that skill of basic courtesy and basic etiquette, things that are important social factors for for humans to to have with one another and and i think uh, people would argue that the internet has is no help <laughs> um, no. and and i myself have been tested many many times with trying to have online discussions and getting exposed to the toxicity and the animosity and the anger and the frustration that will pe people will often just blurt out and vomit you know their their anger and and things on you when they don't even know you, who you are, or they may misunderstand your message, or or may, they take it in a in a way that wasn't intended. Um, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of that, and I, to me, the, the the warrior realizes what's what is important to engage with and what is not. Uh, and I guess that's to to sum up that point is is to keep perspective yeah. of what what's really crucial to you. What is a real threat to you? You know, a lot of people will say a harsh word is a threat. But you talk to somebody who's dealt with physical violence, and they know that talk is just talk. It's when it turns into action that that things get important now. So uh, perspective, I think, is an important factor to hear with the mindset of a warrior. Would would you say that that's true? I would say everything you said is true, and and I got to tell you, I'm a very pugnacious person. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a volatile person. I I, I it, it's that dysfunctional Scott Irish gene set. You know, the Scots, if they weren't fighting an external invader, would fight each other. Um, you know, they don't call them the fighting Irish for nothing. Uh, and it's so it's something that I've had to try to control in myself all my life. And I'm very good in some contexts. Yeah, you know, I've rarely raised my voice. Uh, with a subordinate, you know, past the rank of corporal, I think. Um, but I raised my, I yelled at my daughter the other day and, and it, you know, I, it came out and, and I felt so bad about it because she didn't deserve to have me yell at her that way. And it's similar to the, you know, that event at that gas station that we just talked about. And, you know, it, it is, it's a constant battle in myself 
and and you know to 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 approach things maybe more stoically, you know, Marcus Aurelius, and I've, I've been reading some of that, um, to, to, to approach things much more calmly, to understand what is an actual, um, what is a risk to elevate or a threat to elevate, and what is just ego getting in the way. And I, I'm as guilty as anybody on planet Earth for having a hard time doing that. But, uh, I think if we are martial arts students or martial artists, um, warriors, soldiers, uh, in, in the global term of soldier, um, you know, it's, we have to constantly train just as we constantly train in the physical skills of the martial arts. We have to constant, constantly train our mind and our emotions to be calm in society, not let our egos take control. I, mean, I think I mentioned it earlier when we were talking, um, you know, a lot of dojo doors and windows will say, leave your ego outside. And that's so hard to do. It's easy for me to do in the, in the, in the dojo. It's much harder for me to do out, you know, outside of the dojo. So, I mean, I have to continually train myself and I think that's a lesson for all martial arts students and, and martial artists is that there is another side besides just the physical practice. I mean, I'm a big believer in physical fitness. Um, that, that, that is a foundation, regardless of the martial arts you practice, a person practices. And then there are the skills that are inherent with that particular martial arts system or set of martial arts somebody practices. But uh, to be a well-rounded martial artist does not just include you know, physicality, physical fitness, physical skills, understanding the martial arts system thoroughly that a person is training in, but also to, to have the, the calmness of, of being that one can, without ego, without anger, without fright, can assess situations, uh, and analyze them adequately before deciding how to act. Because just like you mentioned discussions on the internet, and, and I, I haven't looked in, in the comments section of your YouTube channel, but there's somebody's gonna make a comment about this video. And it, it probably is somebody who didn't actually watch it or didn't watch it all the way through. And it's gonna come out of left field. It's gonna be very nasty. It's gonna be very mean because that's what people do on the internet. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I don't behave that way on the internet and it, it's, it, it, at least I try hard not to. And uh, I don't pop off at people. And so in dealing with actual humans in real life, um, you know, I try not to pop off at people either. And when I do, I take the remedial training. I break the verbal judo book out and I start reading it. I break Marcus Aurelius out and start reading it because, you know, like I said, I don't think I'll ever reach martial artist level and I'll always be a martial arts student. Um, but to be a complete martial artist, a complete warrior, uh, one has to train their emotional mind as well and 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 i think that's a, that's another fundamental practice much like 
you know, keeping oneself in good physical condition to be able to do the martial art is to keep oneself in good emotional condition as well. It is. And it, it's a journey without a, a, a destination. There's no, at no point can you say, I'm done. I've got it. You know, and I like how you stated about going back and, and reminding yourself because we're all human. Uh, many skills are perishable and, and social skills. We've seen this last year. If not, we've been an experiment on how perishable the social skills are. You know, we know when we raise children and, or even, uh, you know, dogs need to be around other dogs to socially fit in and learn the skills to behave well with one another, with one another elegantly. And humans are, are very much the same way. Uh, and, and removing a human from that social contact for a period of time can make some rough spots. So it's something we all, we all need to refresh ourselves on constantly. And there's one concept within there that I think that within this whole discussion, you can, you can look at, and this is something that I like to do is boil things down to, to principles. And within that warrior mindset really is what is the core, we call it first principles in, in philosophy, because this will, this will be something as one goes into introspection into analyzing, well, what do why do I train martial arts or what am I trying to get out of it? What am I going to be as I put these tools together? How do I, what's the, the core principle of, of what they are when they're assembled and what they should be? And, and the core principle I admire the most is the idea that do no harm, but accept no harm. And, and that is basically be a good person. That's the do no harm part, which is initiating aggression or initiating force or violence or things like that you don't do that but one could just use the do no harm and kind of come away saying i'm just going to disengage from everybody i'm not going to i'm not going to involve myself i'm not going to i'm just going to separate because you could accomplish that if you were alone for the rest of your life you would do no harm to another human being so you could satisfy that right. the other part is and this is where i think the martial artist aspect and the warrior side comes in is accept no harm do not allow harm to be done to you and do not, and therefore do not allow harm to come to innocent people that you are responsible for. And that may be, you know, your family, because you're responsible for them for a long period of time, or even, you know, people that are stuck in an elevator with you, you know, you, a warrior has responsibility for what goes on around him or her. And, and, I, and so that core principle of do no harm and accept no harm, which is kind of a polite way of putting it. I've heard, you know, on the internet, they say, do no harm and take no shit. Uh, although that version, although more colorful, can kind of introduce the idea that if somebody starts to provoke you, you have license to unleash your physical force on them. And, and I don't agree with that. You know, a, a real warrior, somebody who is truly capable and dangerous, knows that getting into uh, uh, confrontations over pride is a waste of time and it's not. There's nothing good that happens from them. It's just not important. Um, and there's a difference between engaging in violence for, for either fun or for the fact that you need your ego stroked or to make yourself look good to others, you know, a social display, all that stuff is nonsense and garbage to, to, that, to that warrior uh, who's, who knows when it's really time that, that force needs to be used. And, and that's judgment to me. It comes down to Having uh, you know an even keeled mind, and I, and I like the the Marcus Aurelius, the Stoicism, um, 
the that you could call it even strategy of knowing what what's worth it get you getting into it and what just doesn't need to be addressed or, or walk away from um and so but but without ever getting down to those core principles of what you're about or why you do what you do or you know not you specifically but why we as martial artists train right. we're using to understand or we're using our training to understand and deal with violence effectively and efficiently without playing with it we're not indulging in it for entertainment purposes or or you know to enforce our will on other people um, we're using it to protect uh, ourselves and to protect civility and courtesy things like that um, I think that's an important perspective for anybody who who studies violence or, or trains it to know when to when it's supposed to be used and when it's not supposed to be used. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and one of the things I, I've noticed about particularly Aikido within the Aikido community is a lot of times practitioners seem to feel like like they are somehow superior in philosophy or morality than other martial artists or other martial sports my experience with crossing paths with many many martial artists and sport fighters competitors of all stripes almost all of them have a very similar approach to violence they don't mind you know if it's within a sport they love doing their wrestling they love doing their boxing but they really don't want a real fight you know, they might be very dangerous and capable of doing tremendous damage to somebody, but it's nothing they look forward to doing. They don't want to engage in it. They, they would rather, they'd rather avoid it. But the, the great thing about those people that I've run into is almost every one of them says, I know that if, if need be, and if I needed to protect somebody, I have the ability to do it. And I, I believe I have the judgment to, to, step in and the courage to step in and save somebody who might not be saved if it wasn't for for that help yeah that's true and i also think it goes to you know there's a huge debate in the martial arts community about the difference between the sport martial arts and the traditional martial arts if you just want to you know put them into those two categories and there's always someone who says something like, well, you know, I've heard this before. Boxing's not a martial art. It's a sport. Well, I'm here to tell you, you know, Mars, martial, fighting, arts, artisan skill. It, it's a martial art. My opinion, it's a martial art. But it's also a martial art that outside of the rule set can be very effective. Mm -hmm. But people who practice competitive martial arts know one thing. They know that anybody can be gotten by anybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, so it's same thing. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. How do you get good at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? You just keep doing it for a long time. And along the way, you're going to get submitted right, left, upside down, sideways. And, and the same things in, in, in boxing. Somebody may be less skilled than you. And I did do about that much boxing when I was like 19 years old in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, somebody may not be as skilled as you. You may not have seen that that um, jab or cross or hook or uppercut coming. And, and you know, you get tagged really good. Um, 
and I don't think any kind of grappling art is the same as, you know, what I just mentioned about BJJ. And I think in sports martial arts, you both learn the skills necessary to apply them outside of the rule set, but also know that somebody, somebody can get you, even if it's just based on pure luck, pure luck that you can be gotten. And, and I think that that really, it relieves a lot of people of the, um, the egoism of, um, of, you know, relieves them of the egoism and allows them to, um, to approach things, uh, you know, in a much more calm fashion. And as you mentioned, you know, they really don't want to get in a fight. No, they don't have anything to prove, generally speaking. Um, uh, that's one way to look at it. But everybody who practices um, a martial art where you're actually, like, you know, sparring against somebody knows that even just based on pure luck, somebody can get you. And it's better not to engage in the, you know, physical altercation unless it's necessary. And I mean, if things are necessary, they're necessary. And then one can bring their skills to bear. And I, I think it's not just that realization that I'll go back and say egoism. It kind of relieves somebody of, of, of egoism and allows them to approach things much more calmly. You know, and I'm willing to be wrong on that, but that's my my personal perspective and when it comes to philosophy and about some a martial artist who practices a particular martial art believing that somehow they're philosophically superior you know i i would have to ask that person if i were to meet him or her what philosophical superiority even is or what moral superiority do they believe that they possess and um, I don't know how far you want to go down discussion of Aikido, but when we were talking about it last week on the Dirt Wasp podcast is, you know, I, I think Aikido attracts a certain kind of person. And some of these people don't really truly want the martial side of Aikido. Um, they're looking for more of the, um, you know, the philosophical slash physical practice and they fool themselves with the belief that their perceived self superiority of philosophy or morality you know the the martial art that you know you can use it to defend yourself and not hurt your attacker which yeah certainly some of the techniques can be used and that is the that is the applicable result but i i think it is that mindset going into the study of it, and this could apply to other martial arts, not just Aikido. This could apply to other martial arts, other martial arts students, and other martial artists. But I think that we as human beings are really hard pressed to uh, self-declare our moral and/or philosophical superiority over another human being. It's easy to do. I mean, we make judgments about other people all the time. But when one has uh, a, a belief that one is somehow superior to their, their fellow human um, based upon the philosophy of a martial art they practice. I, I, I think that that is a little bit delusional and self-congratulatory. And, well, and I don't, it also comes out of the ego. I mean, we look yes. back through human behavior for centuries, how many people of one religion decried, you know, heretics of those who study another, you know, worship another God, 
they yeah. practice another religion. Um, and, and this is where I guess I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable, admittedly, with any martial art becoming a pseudo-religion or a pseudo uh, kind of a cult, really, where there is that level of judgment upon other human beings. And um, yeah, of course, you can assess people by their actions, whether that's alone, an individual person or a collective group of people. Uh, but it's, it's an, I think it, you're right, it's a, it's a danger to indulge yourself in comparing yourself morally or spiritually, emotionally, you know, to, to others. Um, it's just a, a poor path. And I think it's one that, that uh, you know, a warrior would avoid because it's, you're indulging yourself in kind of your own uh, self-aggrandizement and you, and getting, putting yourself, raising yourself up by tearing down other people is just a bad practice all around. It, you know, yes, just, it is. And some people don't realize that that's what they're doing because mm -hmm. they're so wrapped up in their own moral or philosophical or even intellectual superiority. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, that's, uh, you, you know, there's, and talking about intellectual superiority, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm just about as average as you can get, except in, in physical size, in which I'm a little bit below average. Um, but, uh, you know, I was a big fan of the television show, The Big Bang Theory. Okay. And um, the main character, uh, Sheldon Cooper, was a you know, really smart guy, you know, astrophysicist, two PhDs, blah, blah, blah. But, and this was never in the series as far as I know, but he was the kind of guy who thought he was so smart and he was very smart, but thought he was so smart, he could figure anything out. But, but I always thought to myself, if somebody put an old, uh, you know, Volkswagen Beetle in front, in front of him and say, take it apart, fix it and put it back together again, he wouldn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, he wouldn't know what to do because his intelligence wasn't geared towards that kind of thing. Um, and and um, again, I don't want to I don't want to create another rabbit hole for for uh, Todd to go down talking about intellectual superiority. But I think it's worth mentioning because because I think that some people who believe they're superior it could be based on the belief that they have a superior intellect, a superior morality or a superior philosophy. And um, and and you know, maybe that uh, can be bred via a, a particular martial art. I mean, if you look at Buddhism, that's a philosophy. And, he, you know, um, the great Buddha himself was quoted as saying, don't worship me. This isn't a religion. I mean, he was a philosopher, but what did, what did humankind do? Well, he turned it into a religion. And that's fine. I'm not knocking. I'm just using that as an example of, uh, of a philosophical um, approach and study, which has turned in, into a religion. And, and again, you could, I mean, I guess some martial arts are turned into that in some places mm -hmm. by some people. But um, I think that when that's done, it really loses sight of what martial arts are. And, and you know, and, and talking in this podcast about the difference between a soldier, a fighter and a warrior and that sort of thing and how those words can mean different things in different contexts and different things to different people in different contexts. It's extremely broad. Same thing's true of martial arts, but, you know, I've always approached it as, you know, martial comes from the Roman God of war, Mars, meaning war or military or fighting and arts. While there is tremendous physical art in the practice of martial arts and people do design new techniques all the time, especially in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, 
And you, one could say that that is a physical expression, a uh, physically artistic expression. I believe that arts is really closer to artisan or craftsman. Because an artisan is a skilled craftsman. An artist may be a fine painter, but an artisan makes something and is a skilled craftsman. So to me, martial arts means fighting skill. So if you're a martial artist, you are someone who engages in, in, in the study of fighting skills. If you're a student, you're studying fighting skills. And I think if one can reduce the very definition of martial arts down to that, and there are going to be people listening to this and watching this totally disagree with that. And that's fine. Again, it means different things to different people, but that's what it means to me. And if you think of it in terms of the study of a fighting skill or a set of fighting skills, then it really removes from the equation the uh, higher order of, uh, of um, the higher order of, of preference or uh, you know, placing it above us as some kind of spiritual pseudo-religious practice because it's fighting skill. It's not, it's not religion. And although there's philosophical elements, it's not really philosophy. I mean, you want, you want fighting philosophy. There's plenty out there. There's Sun Tzu is the, one of the biggest examples. Um, there, there is, uh, although it's hard to read, uh, there's Clausewitz in the 19th century. Um, you, you can, and I'm leaving some out. There's another Chinese uh, military philosopher whose name escapes me, who came along about 2000 years after Sun Tzu. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's out there already and nobody worships Sun Tzu mm -hmm. uh, in his philosophy. Uh, nobody worships that. Nobody worships him. But people reference it all the time. How many business books are based on the, the writings of Sun Tzu? Mm -hmm. Business books, my goodness. And, and my approach to martial arts is that it's, it's fighting skills. And I'm, you know, and I mentioned to you one time we were talking on the phone is, that I, uh, you know, to me, everything, I look at things through, how do I operationalize it? And I don't operationalize religion. Um, you can incorporate that in one's, you know, personal, you know, sense of self, one's personal well-being. But my goodness, um, a martial art as a religious practice, and I, I know it's out there because you can read about it, but I think that that's, um, I think that that's a little bit much for, you know, for the world of, of martial arts uh, to have a martial arts that is pseudo is a pseudo religion. And um, certainly the philosophy can be there, but I don't think the religion ought to be just my personal opinion. I don't know if I went too far past what you just said or not. No, not at all. In fact, you know, we've been talking for quite a while and I think we can bring it to a good wrap up point and because we could go on about, you know, I think that that when you have the power the, the physical prowess to cause harm to people, you naturally will touch on what are your values? When do you use it? That's the philosophy part. Uh, and I totally agree with you on, on the religion aspect, because when you talk about it, philosophy and religion and spirituality are very interwoven. So it's, it's kind of like trying to unpack a ball of twine. You're going to keep pulling strings out that are all connected to one another. So it makes sense. That, that this would happen with martial arts because it's, it is such a personal thing. And the, the responsibility of having the, the ability to harm another human being comes with 
a, a great burden and you will question yourself of when should you use it how should you use it under what conditions um what is the mor 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 morality of a situation that would require you to use force or to use that that power so i can see why it, why it would be but but i agree with you i think it is it's taken to a an, uh, an absurd degree sometimes um uh with with how it's how groups tend to uh focus on certain aspects of the whole realm of of that warrior part and, and that's where i i guess i would end this with with what i define as that definition of warrior it encompasses your own moral values your philosophy your um rules of engagement your physical training and how that affects your physical training how it affects your development as a person how it can you know when you realize you have the, the ability to harm someone you do calm down you become less agitated and less problematic this is a, a less emotionally um volatile and i think this is why like you mentioned earlier uh, veterans and people with post-traumatic stress dis disorder things like that have they find within training martial arts a calm and they are able to get back some of their sanity that they lost by being exposed to to trauma and and trauma through violence or just trauma in general and uh you know it's that's a deep subject and and i think we we'll get to the, this wrap-up point and I'll, I'll give you the last word so, since you've been so great with um uh, with what we've talked about on this podcast and we'll kind of wrap things up yeah um well tristan it's been great being on your podcast thank you again for being on mine it's a great discussion i think all of these things we've talked about like you said it's like unwrapping a, a ball of twine it just seems to go on and on forever and some of these things that we're talking about gosh we could we could fill volumes of our <laughs> podcast just with pieces sure. of this discussion and try to expand on them and, and i will say that um it, it, you know it, it i think people watching and listening to this are going to be students of the martial arts and are going to be you know martial artists and each comes to those things with their own uh, you know pers personal philosophy personal morality their own approach to their study and uh, I would just say that, you know, everything you and I have discussed, Tristan, is based upon our own set of experiences and our own opinions and uh, reasonable minds can differ. But having said that, I think martial arts practice is for everyone. And there's so many different martial arts out there to practice. I mean, historical European martial arts. I mean, that's really cool stuff. I've never done it, but it's, I find it really cool. Um, combat pistol and rifle craft are plenty of competitions out there. That is a, that is a martial art, in my opinion. Um, there is Aikido and Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, various forms of wrestling and boxing and kickboxing and mm -hmm. the different karate disciplines, you know, um, the different kickboxing disciplines that there's so many places one can can go just in the world of martial arts and and i think it's for everybody and anyone who's watching or listening to this who hasn't or doesn't train and is interested go visit some martial arts schools find one that's right for you one that you like and um and then pursue the practice and i will say it could just come it just came to mind because you know we get this a lot when i say we got I don't currently study Aikido, but uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But I, for some reason, I 
Aikido speaks to me in, in a way I can't even articulate is, you know, we get into these questions about, you know, quote, what's the best martial art, close quote. And the best martial art is the one that you enjoy enough to keep doing and what you get good at. And it may also be whichever dojo or martial arts gym is closest to you and most convenient to get to. That's a factor in our daily busy lives. So don't discount those things either. But Martial arts are really for everybody, and I would encourage everybody who has an interest to go check it out. And, um, you know, nothing says you got to, you know, some people are lifelong practitioners, like you are, Tristan. I'm a dabbler. I've been dabbling my entire life um, since I was uh, 19 years old, mm -hmm. and uh, I will continue to dabble in, the, in different martial arts. I did um, uh, Cali the other day, mm -hmm. you know, for example, and, uh, you know, you, you don't have to go study one martial art forever you'll study one for one year and another for another year why not it's to benefit you not to benefit anyone else so uh, martial arts are for everybody and i encourage everybody to pursue the martial arts practice of their choice in the way that they deem best for them that is a great message and you can get get things out of it without having to be a lifer uh you know even a year or two's worth of training will benefit you, especially if you enjoy it. And uh, finding a group that's enjoyable to train with is that's that's finding a, a jewel. Uh, it really is. And so, Indeed, sir. absolutely. So, I want to give a little plug to uh, Todd's podcast, the Dirt Wasp podcast, and I'll put a link in the description. Um, Thank you. Just as a quick reminder, yeah, go check it out. He's got a number of episodes on there, uh, some fascinating stuff. I've not listened to all of them yet, but uh, I'm definitely gonna gonna go check out some of those. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, I would recommend that you go to uh, the Spirit Aikido Online program. I've got probably 160 coming up on 160 videos in the program right now. Uh, I just wrapped up a series on training for Randori, which is uh, the beginnings of training for dealing with multiple people. I found some great success in even people that have been in my dojo for a week, like they've just started brand new and how to teach the fundamentals and how to get started. Uh, and that's a good bedrock of training people to get used to the, the dealing with multiple people, not becoming afraid of it. And uh, I've got some great material there. And I'm just getting into filming some stuff on using Pygmatia or ancient Greek boxing for entries, oh. uh, how to cover distance. Uh, protecting your head to get close where we get into Aikido range. So uh, those will be coming out very soon. So I got some exciting stuff coming. Um, those sound great, Tristan. I'm yeah, there's a lot of yeah. fun. This is part of what I love about martial arts is it, it's not being so hyper-focused in just one one area, but taking in influences from, from many different arts because every I, I have yet to find a martial art that doesn't have some great stuff in it, like fantastic for simple, direct, easy to easy to apply, uh, very functional, low risk, high reward. I just love that stuff. I love training with all kinds of different people. So um, it may seem initially that these things don't fit in with what we would normally associate with Aikido or, or one art and, and another art, but the closer you look at it, the more you see that they have universal principles that apply to all of them. And that's what fascinates me. So Thank you very much for being on this podcast. And uh, I guess have a great day, Todd. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And right back at you, Tristan. All I right. sure appreciate we'll, it. We'll be talking with you real soon. Take care. Roger that. You too.
Thanks. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.